Hi, David. What's the driver of the latest move higher in government bond yields? Well, the initial catalyst for the latest move higher in global bond yields were the hawkish surprises from the Bank of England and, most importantly, from the European Central Bank. The Bank of England, as expected, raised its base rate in a consecutive meeting by 25 basis points to 0.5%. But the surprise was that four of the nine members of the Monetary Policy Committee voted for a 50 basis point hike. Um, The rationale was that a tight labour market, rising inflation expectation risked a wage price spiral. But really, it was President Lagarde's hawkish comments at the press conference after the ECB meeting that really shook markets. She said uh, that after upside surprises to inflation in December and January, that there was unanimous concern in the governing council about inflation. She refused to repeat her statement uh, that she made after the December ECB meeting, that it was very unlikely that the ECB would raise rates in 2022. And instead, she said, the situation has changed. So President Lagarde not only validated market pricing for a rate hike at the end of the year, but she also prompted short rate markets to um, anticipate an earlier end to asset purchases, to QE, and two 25 basis point uh, increases by the ECB this year. So we saw 10-year bond yield jump you know, 10 basis points or so higher on the day. They've continued to move higher um, around about 0.2%, which is actually their highest level since 2019. And, you know, the market suddenly came to the realisation that the end of negative uh, cash rates in Europe and the end of ECB bond purchases uh, was likely to happen sooner rather than later, despite, you know, some of the pushback we have seen from Lagarde in subsequent days. And then attention switched across the Atlantic. We had a much stronger than expected US jobs report, a yet another above consensus forecast uh, inflation print. And and again, that's provided a leg higher in US and global bond yields. What are the implications for the euro assets of the ECB's hawkish tilts? The the market reaction to the ECB's hawkish tilt was to immediately price more rate hikes. Um, So they're actually pricing in something like 100 basis points of rate increases by the end of next year. So by the end of um, 2023. I, I have to say I'm a bit on the sceptical side of that, I, I do think that most of the higher than expected inflation in Europe is energy related. Uh, wage growth across Europe remains pretty moderate, and I still think there is some slack in the economy. That said, I do think the ECB is going to end QE. Um, I do think they would like to k- get cash rates out of uh, negative territory. And, and I think that would be a good thing. It'd be a good thing for the functioning of the financial sector and, and, and markets. But I'm, I'm kind of sceptical that we're on the cusp of a sustained ECB tightening cycle. But along with the move higher in core eurozone r- rates, we also saw uh, peripheral sovereign spreads widen pretty meaningfully in response to the ECB's hawkish tilt. And I do think BTP spreads, so these Italian bond spreads, will be key for how well euro risk assets more generally, including credit, absorb the end of ECB bond buying and the end of uh, negative rates. Now, you know, the political and fiscal backdrop for Italy is actually pretty positive. I don't see a fundamental justification for a sort of blowout in BTP spreads to, to, to levels that would you know, raise concerns around debt sustainability. But 
Yeah, at the moment, that sort of, you know, we know that markets can overshoot. I think the direction of travel um, is probably for, you know, spreads to widen a bit further. But, you know, it's, it's certainly something I think that's going to be important to track. I think it's something the ECB will keep a close eye on. Uh, we've also seen corporate credit spreads widen pretty sharply after the ECB meeting. I mean, the ECB has been buying, you know, seven to eight billion euros of corporate investment grade rated bonds every month. Um, since the beginning of 2020. I mean, the ECB now holds around about one third of the total stock of non-financial investment grade uh, Euro corporate bonds. So it's been a very, very um, kind of important player and backstop in that market. Um, But I think actually higher all-in yields on Euro credit will be welcomed by many traditional credit investors. Um, and, and I think the way that I look at the way that, you know, euro credit and, and actually credit globally has been responding to higher rates and equity volatility is it's been treating it as a liquidity shock rather than as a growth shock. And I, and I think you can see that if you look at the kind of performance of uh, lower rated credit relative to higher rated credit, it's basically kind of outperformed on a beta adjusted basis. And I think the market's right to do so. I think the growth outlook for Europe, to me, looks pretty good for this year. I think there's some upside from reopening, notably in the travel and uh, leisure sectors. Fiscal policy remains pretty growth friendly uh, with the disbursement of the next generation EU budget funds picking up. Um, so I do think that we're going to see more volatility in euro credit, including sovereign peripheral debt, as the market adjusts to you know, this shift by the ECB. But I think, you know, with a pretty decent economic backdrop, default risk is still very low. I think that will act as an anchor on spreads. Um, We also saw the euro gain. Um, A number of strategists are arguing that the end of negative rates will be a game changer for uh, the euro. And it's certainly been true that, you know, since the ECB went into negative rate territory in 2014, we've seen persistent capital outflows from the you know eurozone and and that those could or at least some of those reverse if they get into kind of positive cash rates that said i'm 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 still less you know i'm not really a euro bear in in the near term because i think us short term interest rates and real yields have you know further to move and and potentially will will, will move faster than in the eurozone so let's switch back to the us as we've had two big data points since our last chat and the 10-year Treasury yield is on the cusp of 2%. Yes, yeah, so I, I think, as I mentioned uh, earlier, you know, we had the January employment report. It was surprisingly strong. The market was kind of anticipating a flat to even negative number because of uh, the impact of Omicron on uh, employment. Uh, but actually, we got a 467,000 payroll gain. So it was a big... Uh, game. We also saw big upward revisions to uh, prior months. So uh, the, the the US jobs market remains actually very strong. Um, average hourly earnings were also up 5.7% on the year. Now, if you actually annualize uh, the monthly changes over, over, over the last three months, then uh, uh, earnings are rising at around about 7% in the US. So we've got a strong jobs market, lots of jobs, uh, earnings picking up. And then we got 
the inflation print for January, yet again, um, it was above the consensus forecast. It came in at 7.5%. So that's the fastest annual rate of price increases since February 1982. And even if we strip out uh, fuel and uh, foods, uh, core inflation at 6% was still at a 40-year high. And, and, you know, that core inflation print of 6% for the US compares to around about 2% for, for the Eurozone. So the inflation dynamics um, in the US are much stronger than they are in the Eurozone. As you said, Alex, you know, the yield on the um, 10 year Treasury um, is basically at um, 2%. But it's actually at the shorter end of the yield curve where we've witnessed the biggest moves. Um, the two year yield rose to 1.5%, you know, implying basically six 25 basis point rate hikes by the Fed this year, another three to four in 2023. And then we had to sort of round off uh, uh, the week, James Bullard. Um, who is the St. Louis Fed president, he is a, a voting participant on the FOMC, said he supported raising rates by a full percentage point by the start of July, including an initial half point uh, interest rate increase um, in, in March. So after the inflation print and then Bullard's comments, the market's now pricing a 50 basis point hike at the Fed's uh, meeting next month. Um, they're pretty much fully pricing that. And that, that, if that happened, that would actually be the first half point rise in rates since um, 2000. So, you know, a, a, a lot is going on. The market's, you know, kind of aggressively repricing. How much further do you think the global bond market sell off has to go? As you know, Alex, I mean, we've had a structural short duration bias. Um, particularly with respect to US and UK rates coming into uh, this year. I think the market has moved much closer to our own thinking in terms of the persistence of inflation and the path for uh, Fed rates in particular. I, I still think there is room for yields to move higher, but we've had a big move in a short period of time. Um, I think it's also worth noting that not every central bank is validating these kind of market tightening expectations. We had the Bank of Japan, who's actually intervened in the market to prevent uh, the yield on the 10-year Japanese government bond uh, from breaching its 0.25% um, ceiling. Uh, bank of Japan Governor Kuroda said that raising rates is unthinkable. Uh, we had Sweden's uh, risk bank also kind of refraining from joining the global shift to uh, tighter monetary policy, saying it's not expecting to raise rates from zero until um, the second half of 2024. So I think that speaks to a theme that we've discussed uh, previously about divergence in terms of inflation dynamics and central bank uh, reaction functions. I'm, I'm still bearish on US and uh, sterling duration, less so on euro rates after the moves of, of, of the last week or so. Um, and, and I think after the kind of repricing we've seen across major bond markets, I think the outlook is more evenly balanced and it's, it's even more dependent on the path for inflation. You know, if inflation falls relatively quickly, um, you know, sort of from the end of Q1 um, through Q2 as supply chains ease, uh, constraints ease, we get a shift in demand from goods to services, then, then that upward pressure on bond yields is going to moderate. But if inflation continues to spice to the upside, and, and we have been and continue to be on the, on the side where we think inflation is going to be higher and more persistent in the US, in the UK than current consensus 
uh, forecasts imply, that I think yields will, you know, continue to to, to move higher. Um, you know, risk markets, generally speaking, are treating higher global rates as a liquidity rather than a growth shock. And, you know, as I suggested before, I think that's the right way at the moment to be thinking about it. But if inflation stays higher for longer, forcing central banks to become ever more hawkish, then I think we are going to get a kind of narrative developing around concerns for growth into 2023. Um, and I think that's going to have you know, if that does build, then I can. I think we're going to see a lot more volatility in uh, risk assets. I mean, you know, that 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 that's a whole other discussion that perhaps we can have um, uh, another time. But you know, we're in a regime of macro volatility and policy uncertainty. You know, the situation has indeed changed. Thanks, David. I look forward to discussing that and other issues facing investors when we next speak in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2021.